Welcome to Jesus at the Table. The podcast where we have real conversations about the spiritual journey, cultural issues, and big theological questions. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Jesus at the Table. Uh, my name is Fran Lehman, and we're glad that you're here joining us for the podcast where pretty much no topic is off limits and where we try to have these conversations as if Jesus were here at the table with us. And I just want to say when we say that, we mean the Jesus that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. We say that all the time. But, um, but we're going to have another great conversation today. And with that, I am going to hand it off to my co-host, Leslie Zarita. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, joining us today, obviously, Fran Lehman, the anchor of our podcast and the pastor of LifeSpring Church. And we have Diane Alich and Debbie Jankowski, who are both um, leaders at LifeSpring. And today we're going to be talking about Christians and the LGBTQ issue. So, Debbie, I'm going to start with you. Let's just get started by maybe having you tell us a little bit about why this issue is important to you. Sure. Um, I have two um, adult children that are in same-sex marriages and um, tried to support them their whole lives, um, make sure that they're loved and accepted everywhere they go, and especially in church. Okay, thanks. And Diane, you and your family have been part of LifeSpring for how long now? Um, like 24 years. And what do you and your <laughs> husband do around the church? Uh, we function as elders. Fran, she says, she says we function as elders, but the truth is they've done a million different things because that's how it is when you plant a church. Church is 30 years old. They've been here 24 years, so they've done a million things. So just want to give you credit. Thank so. you. Thanks Thank for you. jumping in and, and adding yeah. to that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get into this conversation, you gave this this podcast this week's topic a funny title, and I'm going to have to look here. The Big Kirk kerfuffle Christians and the LGBTQ issue. What is up with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's mostly just that I, I I like that word. I came across that kerfuffle. word a few years ago and I like it, kerfuffle. Mm -hmm. It's actually an old Scottish word and uh, and I'm Scottish, so you know. Um, and it, it means uh, when something becomes a big uh, disorder or chaos or an upset about, about something. So um, I, I like that word about this and I'm not trying to be um, I don't know, facetious about it or something. It's just that uh, this is a big issue. Mm -hmm. It's a big issue and everybody's talking about it and people are fighting about it in the church. And so let's just admit that it's a big kerfuffle and we need to we need to work through it. Something I successfully avoided for a really long time. So yeah, I think you've said dodged. I dodged. dodged might have been the description. Um, so here we are, we're having this conversation today because our own church community has really had an interesting journey with these questions. And we're going to talk about that, but Fran, can you first start out by giving us a historical context as far as Christians and this issue go? Yeah, so the, the truth is that just like most of our culture, Christians weren't really talking about this issue until maybe the late 60s, but probably more like into the 1970s. Um, it was just one of those things that everybody knew existed. Yes, there are gay people, but we we don't we don't talk about it um, and then in the 1970s uh, kind of as the and I'm not tying these completely together but kind of as the religious right was on the rise this became one of the issues that was important to a lot of prominent 
evangelical preachers. And so, you know, I became a Christian in 1976, late 70s. I started listening to a lot of Christian radio, late 70s, early 80s. And so I was hearing guys like um, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and James Dobson talking a lot about this issue and saying, you know, very particular things uh, about this issue and about gay people in general and, and, and whatever. And then the other thing that happened that historically that I was not aware of at the time at all was something that we now refer to as conversion therapy or mm -hmm. gay conversion therapy. And that was going on um, really probably beginning in the early 70s. And uh, there were different groups that kind of had this idea that, um, you know, if you, if you prayed for people enough, if you counseled them enough, if they read enough scripture, if they got close enough to God, um, they could go from being homosexual to being heterosexual. And uh, eventually all those groups came together under the banner of a large organization that then went on for uh, decades called Exodus International. Um, and so that was uh, kind of a big thing. And, and through all those things, um, this became a big issue for Christians. It went from something we didn't talk about to something Christians were talking about all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I still remember, oh my gosh, 19, uh, Linda and I were dating. So we got married in 1982, right? So this is about 1980 or 81. I, it might've been when I met my brother-in-law for the first time, my brother-in-law, Alan, and we're, we're both passionate Christians, young, passionate Christians. And I remember sitting on the sofa in my in-law's house and he said, I've got a question for you. And I said, what? And he said, do you think that a gay person can be a Christian? And I still remember, I just said, well, no, absolutely not. That would be impossible, you know. Um, but I had that opinion because even by that point, so that's, yeah, that's 1980, 81. People are talking about it. People are forming strong opinions in the Christian community about it. Um, and then the other history, another history piece of this is that as Christians began to embrace more to, to talk more overtly about this idea of America as a Christian nation and that America was, you know, declining and that we needed to get it back to its, its Christian place or however you want to talk about that. Um, gay people in particular got branded as part of the cause of America's decline. So if we're trying, if we're all trying to save America and this one particular identifiable group is part of what's bringing the judgment of God on all of us in America, well then we're gonna have a big problem with those people. And so, so that became, I would say, that was probably the thing that caused Christians to begin to other LGBTQ folks in a very direct and kind of overt way because they were, they were going to ruin our, our country. Um, and that was how people were talking about it. So, um, and it's been interesting because I guess this is the other piece of the historical run-up here, as long as I'm rambling on, is that um, American culture, of course, we all know this, has become more accepting as time has gone on. Certainly not everybody, but there's much more cultural ac acceptance of uh, gay folks and others in the LGBTQ community. Um, and we've watched mainstream Protestant churches, kind of, you know, many of the larger Lutheran Presbyterian Methodist Church have said, you know, maybe we need to be more accepting of these folks and not treat them like, you know, lepers and not treat them like uh, the enemy or treat them like they can't be people of faith. Um, so, uh, but now, but, but that didn't happen in the more conservative evangelical pieces of the church. 
who tended to move toward um, regarding those in the LGBTQ community as being um, under the judgment of God and that they should be excluded from the community of faith um, and, and, and embracing the idea that that judgmentalism and exclusion reflects the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus would have us to, to relate uh, to these folks. So. so was this always an issue that LifeSpring was focused on? And if not, can you just kind of describe what happened in our church? Yeah, it definitely was not uh, an issue that we were focused on. In fact, I was really terrible. We alluded to it before, but my, you said I dodged it. My, my joke is, and yet it's true, is that I successfully dodged it as a pastor for 25 years because I was taught there's this handful of Bible verses. This is what they say. You don't need to look closer at them. This is the deal. Um, we all know that, that this set of perspectives about LGBTQ folks represents the solid Christian perspective. Um, and yet I felt compassion. I di didn't want to be um, an, a judgmental or excluding person. So I felt trapped. And so sometimes when you feel trapped, what you do is you put your head down. <laughs> and so I put my head down. And I just, even times when other leaders, you know, um, I remember, Diane, before we ever really addressed this issue, we had some leaders who, who raised this issue mm -hmm. in our eldership team respectfully, lovingly. And I was like, great, what else do we have to talk about on the agenda? <laughs> because I just didn't know how, how to go there. Um, but then a number of years ago, and we had had, from time to time, we would have someone who was gay attend the church for a little while. And it was kind of a, I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, it was kind of a don't ask, don't tell. Like We would mm -hmm. love him and accept him, but it wasn't really talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and then a number of years ago, we had a gay couple begin to attend the church, and they loved Christ, uh, and they were married to each other, and they said, oh, we just want to be a part of a church community. They told, they told us stories about having been asked to leave church communities. And um, so it caused um, kind of an upset because uh, they, they were, it wasn't a gay person attending our church by themselves. It was a couple. Mm -hmm. They were clearly a couple. So people recognized that. And there were some people, and, and I want to be kind here, but there were some people who really wanted them to leave. Uh, and there were some people who approached me and, and, in essence, asked me to ask them to leave because there wasn't going to be a home for here there, for them here. There couldn't be a home for them here. And now you talk about being caught in the middle, right? So um, I, I think that was sort of the point um, where uh, I realized that um, I couldn't dodge the issue anymore as a leader. I had no idea what, would ha what was going to happen. None at all. If you if you would have said, "Fran, do you have a plan for this?" I had, I have no plan. Um, so, but what I, I knew, one thing we had to fix. So, what I realized was um, we had to. We were, that this was probably going to be a long conversation, a big conversation, but that we had to answer one question right away because of this couple, which was, when gay folks come to our church, are we going to ask them to leave? Are we going to say, are we going to, you know, and so I sat down with our eldership team. I still remember the night and I said, I, I think we need to have a long conversation about this because I have lots of questions that I don't have answers for. But I think we have to answer one question kind of right away. 
which is, would Jesus meet people at the door of the church and say, you're not welcome here? And thankfully, there wasn't a single person on our eldership team who, you know, everybody said, yes, Jesus going to welcome everybody. So, okay, so we kind of crossed that, that bridge. Um, so I suggested that we embrace a process. And I was terrified of that process, but we had begun this little community in our church that we call the Crux Community. It's kind of like a small group that take of people who love to read and think, and they, they want to think about theological things. They want to think about Jesus and the Bible. And um, they had already worked through one other big topic, and that's their job is to kind of help us work through big topics. So I said, um, why don't we hand this to our Crux Community and let them begin to work through it and then we can all double back as leaders and keep communicating about how that process is going, what we're thinking, and 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 those kinds of things. Um, and you know, so what happened was in the long run. I don't know what else we'll talk about here, but in the long run, we landed at a place where we kind of said everybody's entitled to their opinion. Everybody's a work in progress. I can't say to you, I have a Christian opinion on elephants and you have to embrace my view on elephants right this second because the truth is maybe you're still thinking about elephants and you got to work through it so we tried to come to a place as a church where we said everybody's work in progress everybody can keep working through these questions but no more judgment and exclusion mm-hmm. um, and so that was kind of where we landed okay so diane let me ask you you you've been here for a long time and mm-hmm. you've been part of leadership for a long time and all of a sudden, this became a conversation we were going to have. Did it make you nervous to have this conversation for our church? Well, yeah, because we've been through many um, upheavals in the past. And it does make you nervous that you're going to have to be at the center of that storm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it made me nervous, but we also couldn't dodge it anymore. <laughs> we also couldn't dodge it anymore. <laughs> the dodge is over. Yeah, yeah. So, Debbie, you and Dave started coming to LifeSpring when we were kind of in the middle of this conversation and in this process and and asking these questions. And you'd been very involved in a church. So what caused you to go looking for a different church that was more affirming and less judgmental? Um, Because that church was still dodging the issue and did not want to have, they were willing to have conversations but they weren't willing to open their heart and mind and think about something new and learn something new possibly. They just wanted to continue to believe what they had been taught and believed in the church, you know, historically in their family, in the church itself. Um, They just weren't open to that. And we watched them hurt people and I just couldn't I couldn't stay anymore and watch them hurt people who didn't deserve to be hurt and were amazing Christ-following people that were just living their life like we are living our lives, you know? So we just couldn't stay anymore and watch that. So what made you stick around a church that wasn't yet sure where it would land? When yeah, you came yeah because church? because you guys came in uh-huh. and we were still in process. I mean, there were, there were emails kind of on, you remember that on the front end, like, hey, where's your church with this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, we're having a conversation. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. Well, we had been, uh, they call it church shopping. Um, and I think in the process of that, for me anyway, I kind of learned what I needed and what I didn't need in a church anymore. Obviously, I needed an affirming church. 
but the you know the big stage and the lights and all of that like I felt like that was something I needed but then after going to different churches I realized no I really need the message to be something deep and meaningful we, and we, we have a smaller stage and smaller lights but here. they're just as amazing, <laughs> just as amazing. Um, so we had open conversations with Fran and Linda and um, we came along the journey with two other couples and um, we all talked with you we all met with you we felt like you were being really transparent and we were really impressed that you guys were talking through this and and deeply talking through it and not just well those six bible verses and that's what they mean like you were literally you know researching the language and the meanings and what was going on so i you know we all said if you didn't go affirming we were going to leave and we were going to be really sad about that but you know we were super hopeful that you would you know right. decide to be affirming and we also liked the way that it was taking time although we were very impatient my husband was extremely impatient he just wanted that you guys to just make the decision because we were already there like you said like yeah you know we're there so it's not that we expect everyone to be there with us but we sort of do you, so. you, you so that's sort of news to me because none of you expressed that because i think you treated and i i, I i'm grateful for this you respected the fact that we had felt as a church we needed to work a process with this and that that had to happen for the sake of all the people who were here mm -hmm. before you before you came yeah you know i mean and i think that's part of why we stayed we just we liked that about where you were going with it and how long it was taking and you were including the you know congregation in the conversations and you in, invited us to speak and and in those conversations so we felt you know at least if if we were part of trying to make a change then that's great and if it didn't end up that way then we would we would have to find something else because that was really our bottom line was you know we wanted to be at an affirming church yeah yeah, yeah. fascinating so, so were you surprised to find that a bible believing um evangelical church with contemporary worship was actually having these conversations yes very yeah we all were I mean, you know, like I said, we came from a church that was not willing to even talk about it. You know, in meetings, it was shut down. Mm -hmm. Staff meetings, it, it was shut down. The conversation was shut down. Um, so, and that's what we, we wanted, a more contemporary worship service, Christian, Bible-based, with deep teaching, and we found life spring so at the right time i feel we god brought us here at the right time yeah so. for us as well yeah oh my gosh yeah. i mean like to you know i remember thinking like we could work through this whole issue right and then no other person in the lgbtq community or a parent someone like yourself will ever walk through our door again and it'll be like well good thing we worked through those <laughs> questions right and here we are in the middle of this process and you guys walk through the door well emailed first and then walk through the door and like you're here and then you kind of joined the process and you actually became kind of a significant part of that process because you guys and other people that you knew beyond you know the, the couple of couples that you guys were had stories to tell and we said would you tell us those stories and it was like 
it was one of those journeys where you set out on a journey and you might have some idea how it's going to unfold, but there's pieces of it I, I didn't see coming. And you guys were, were one of those pieces and, the, and people you knew were some of those pieces. And anyway, yeah, and, I'll shut and, up. And I have to just say, like, thank you to you and Dave and to the other couples. I'm not going to name all kinds of names without you know their permission. Um, thank you for being so transparent and so vulnerable um, because I think it would have been more difficult for us to walk through that process and to um, have a good picture of what we needed to consider without hearing those stories. And, and the fact that you guys were able to be so willing to share such personal things to you and your family, uh, I, I'm just super appreciative and I just want to say that. Well, we're appreciative that you let us. Yeah, that, I mean, I feel like the word issue is just like, mm -hmm. you know, I it hate just that makes word. me cringe I hate because <laughs> my son and son-in-law aren't issues. My son and son-in-law are humans made mm -hmm. in the image of God, living a life like my, me and my husband live. Like, they're right. just going to work. They love each other. They love their family. We love them. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no issue there. Right. So... Yeah, and to have them be an issue at church to me was just, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting what you brought up, Leslie, though, that these guys came in, guys came in, Debbie, and you, you know, both of the couple of times that I asked you to kind of tell your stories, once in our smaller crux community and once in front of our whole congregation, I felt like I was asking something I shouldn't be asking, you know, like it's vulnerable territory, and you guys were like, yes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, so. But really, I think we can blame Diane because I think that <laughs> what led to the Sunday where you guys and this other couple were up front telling your stories in front of our whole congregation, that was actually Diane's suggestion. Was. So, I think it was um, yeah, so anyway, which was a good thing. Um, <laughs> speaking of Diane, okay. um, can you describe your journey with I don't want to say this issue, but I'm going to say this issue. <laughs> Um, and with the conversation that unfolded. Yes. Um, it wasn't the issue, sorry. <laughs> wasn't Can you something give us a better was, term? Because <laughs> I hate saying that too. I don't know. The topic. topic. The topic. topic. Okay, the topic. Um, wasn't something that was forefront in my journey because it didn't affect me personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that I didn't have family members that were gay, but they never came out to me and it was never part of my relationship with them. So um, I knew what Christians, what the, the Christian thought was about it, but I didn't really think about it that much. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I always wanted to be loving to anybody who walked through our doors. Um, but I also didn't think about the personal side of it. I didn't know the stories. And then you guys told us your story. I mean, after we had done, gone through the crux thing, and looked at the passages very deeply, and then you see how ambiguous a lot of those passages are. And then you guys told us your stories that night, and it was so moving. I mean, as a mother, I can't imagine. And to have your kid feel like that they are not loved by God, that they are not accepted by God because of the way Christians are treating them is horrible. Because that's God is, is love, and you're not worthy of it. So it just really hit me, and I thought, if we're gonna move forward in this journey with our entire congregation, which I think part of it, like we did go slow because we were trying to bring people along and not have them go, I don't believe that, and just take off. Um, 
I just thought that people need to hear these stories and, and put a face on it that, mm -hmm. you know, the suffering that, that your children had to go through simply because of how they were born is, it's just really sad. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to be a part of somebody making people feel like they're not inherently good enough. Right. Um, um, so that's why I said everybody needs to hear their stories, not just us. Yes. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to this when you talked about, um, you know, having that realization as a mother. Were there any other kind of aha moments, especially as you went through the process with the Crux community um, or things that were maybe more difficult or more important to you that came out of those conversations that you were having? Yeah, I mean, the, the conversation with the Crux community was eye-opening. I'll tell you the truth, I never really looked that closely at those passages because it wasn't important to my life. So I never really, like I wasn't like, well in Romans, Paul said this. I never thought about it that much. But then when Fran went through, when we were going through the history and the etymology of the words and mm -hmm. um, and what was going on during that time, you're like, this is ambiguous. This isn't just black and white. Hey, this is it. And I know, I think as Christians and as people, like the Bible, we want the Bible to be a set of rules. Instead of revealing truth to us, we want it to say, this is how you treat every single thing. And that's not what the Bible is. I mean, right. that's not how Jesus taught. He taught in parables. He taught in ways to make you think. He revealed truth. He did not reveal rules. He did not reveal that this is exactly the way you have to go. Um, so it does make it more difficult. I mean, it would be nicer right. if he would just have told us everything, and you know. Um, but so there was a lot of things where, I guess, knowing that it was ambiguous. Then we watched that um, documentary about um, the conversion therapy, which was horrifying. Pray, pray Away. Yeah, if people have not watched, we should say that. If you've never watched the Netflix documentary, Pray Away, about gay conversion therapy, do yourself a favor and, and become historically informed and watch it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Christians think that things like this are black and white and that you can just you know, change your sexuality is, is such a ridiculous oversimplification oversimplification I mean um, so anyway that was part of it but then the other eye-opening thing is that I didn't realize how I was not considering how people were being treated in the Christian community that it wasn't that I didn't it's like I didn't care not if I had met them I would care but you know what I mean it's like it wasn't something that I thought about or did anything about um, so it wasn't like I was like, yeah, people can come in the church and we'll be fine. But that's not how they feel when they come in the door. Yeah, you, I get that because you're like saying I, w I wasn't overtly doing this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was, you know, you feel sort of you come to the place you feel sort of complicit. Well, you, I wasn't doing anything. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. that's one of those things that it's like you have an indifference because it's not something you're experiencing. So yeah. it's easy to kind of say, well, that's happening over there and I, I don't have to think about it. And I think the church, you know, they there are churches that say all are welcome. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole that's not you're you might be welcome in the door, but then there's there's a stop at some point of what you can do in the church. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, you're welcome, but you can't teach our kids. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're, what a you're horrible welcome, thing. You can serve, but you can't or, be a leader. Or yeah. I've run into this. You're you're welcome for a while, as long as you're changing. And, yeah. You know, right. Or yeah. you're not in a relationship. Then you yeah. can do this. Right. And, yeah. you know, all of those other details. So language is important. I, I don't know. I don't think that churches 
leave that. I well, you you guys believe. you guys kind of schooled us in the limitations <laughs> yeah. of saying that you're welcome, right? You yeah. know, yeah, and, and that, that actually sends a different message than the message that you think right. you're sending, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Fran, as we've been talking about the journey that our church, LifeSpring, has taken with all of this, the debate that exists about this topic, this topic. <laughs> is actually bigger across American culture, not smaller. It, you know, our, our church is one example of this bigger picture. So what kinds of things is that debate centered in? Well, the first thing I want to point out is that Diane just used the word etymology, and I knew I liked you. So, because etymology, which is the study of where words come from, their origins in other languages and other times, is just one of my favorite things. I would say that speaks um, to your language. That speaks no my language in, no right there. So, so, so what things that, yeah, this is a big topic in American culture and the American church, so what is it centered in? It's centered a lot in the Bible arguments, right? Um, because the there's been um, a lot of ink spilled about the five what are considered sort of the five relevant passages. Um, sometimes, if you don't like the way people are using them, they've sometimes been called the clobber passages. But I'll call them the five relevant passages. There's been a lot of debate uh, about those, and um, and the interesting thing is that most people who are using those passages. Uh, and, and this, to some degree, to some degree, would have been me uh, a number of years ago and across my adult Christian life. But most people are using those passages um, to pronounce judgment or to form a basis for exclusion of people from the community of faith or to demand that people change their sexuality or whatever, do certain things with their sexuality. Most people who are using those Bible passages in those ways do not really... Um, know very much at all, um, and that was me too, about um, the historical context in which those passages were written, about the particular language and the words that were, using, that, that were used, um, about things like um, how homosexual, homosexual acts were part of ancient pagan worship rites, or in the time of, that's going back maybe to the time of, time of Leviticus even, but in the time of Jesus, how were these things uh, how was homosexuality visible in the culture? Because it's different from how it is in our culture. Do we understand that? Do we have we have we studied it? Have we had conversation about it? Um, there's also a question I think about how we read the Bible in general, which is not the topic of this podcast, and it's a, a larger topic than than just this. But there is a larger question about how we read the Bible. Diane kind of alluded to it before that that the Bible isn't dropped from heaven as a sort of dictated book that, that is written like a textbook. If you need the answer to this question, go to page 163, and, and there God says, oh, you're asking this question as a modern 20th century person. Here's the answer, tailored just for you. It's not like that. It takes careful reading. It takes some discernment about um, the cultural context. Sometimes we say, I like Greg Boyd's term, the cultural conditioning of the writers. How? What's the framework they were mm -hmm. thinking in? And yet we do believe, as Christians and here at LifeSpring, that Scripture is inspired and that God has uh, preserved the revelation of himself to all kinds of people and specifically through Jesus in Scripture. So we are lovers of Scripture, studiers of Scripture, but it still raises questions about sort of how you read Scripture. Um, 
and whether you read it uh, carefully mm-hmm. and whether you factor in what's going on around all those texts, which, which I think one of the things that we don't like about that is that that also requires work, mm-hmm. right? We might have to study more, listen more, seek out different perspectives or different information. So, but I, I also think, how can I say this? I also think that one of the places this whole conversation in the broader church is centered, or that's maybe even the wrong way to put it. One of the things we should realize, we should all realize we're doing, is that we're answering questions like this, like questions like, what about gay people? We're answering them within a context of how we frame our thinking about the gospel and the Christian journey. So um, we have tended, and I'll speak for us as, as evangelical type folks, uh, as distinct from, say, conservative Catholics, we have tended to talk about the gospel primarily in terms of, well, we, we, Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven and so we could go to heaven when we die. Um, and because of that, I would say we have not thought deeply enough about the more transformative elements of what it means to be on a Christian journey. A friend of mine once humorously quipped that the way we'd embrace the gospel was um, you know you're forgiven and you're going to heaven and for God's sake, try to be good until then, you know? Um, so because what we haven't thought about is if God is restoring human beings and making all things new and making us new, what, where is that centered? And one of the most interesting things that we find in Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is he moves the locus of transformation from the external things, right? Just think Pharisees and counting your steps on the Sabbath mm-hmm. and don't use your milk dishes for your meat and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And Jesus moves the locus of, of transformation from the external things to this internal place. And he says, don't you realize that everything good or bad that comes out of a person starts in the heart? The good man brings out good things that already were living inside him in his heart. The evil person brings out evil things. So this is important because, for me, it raises this question. So if what I'm being transformed into is this person who has, who is less afraid because I know the love of God and I'm um, changed by love and I'm being transformed into a person capable of love and I believe in goodness in, in every way that it, that, it, that it can live among us and in us as human beings. And I started to wrestle with this. So can that happen for a gay person? Right. But if you think if you think the locus is all external, you're very focused. So on and, and not just that question of sexuality, you could be focused on a lot of things and say, well, if you're on a transformative Christian journey, it's got to look like this and this and this and right. this and this. Jesus moves it here and says that it, it transforms us internally. And then when it comes out, the prime evidence of it is love. And you go, oh. So I think we have to do a lot of thinking. I'm not trying to fully answer the question, but I'm just saying I think we have to do a lot of thinking about what do we think the Christian journey is mm-hmm. and how, so I think sexuality is a big thing about people. It is a big thing about us. It's a powerful thing within us, but I don't think it defines what Christian transformation is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so those, those are important questions for me. And then lastly, I would just say the question of, it's centered in the question of seeing people. And I'll probably make some people mad with this, but this was me too. So I'm, I'm not, not putting this on everybody else. 
when you other people and you say, oh, you're under the judgment of God, you're excluded from the community of faith, you stop seeing them. And you might, you might sit here and say to me, oh, no, no, I, no, I, no, I'm not, Pastor Fran, I don't stop seeing them. But you do because what you're saying is, I'm only looking at your one major disqualifying issue. Mm-hmm. And, and then I've often joked that it would be like if I heard a group of people talking and my name came up and somebody said, oh, well, the only thing you need to know about Fran Lehman is he's heterosexual. And then everybody went, oh, well, you know. And it'd be like I would be standing on the edge of that crowd going, wait a minute, there's way more to me than just that. There is that, but there's more to me. Well, so. that, that's something that's been odd to me um, is thinking about I have never walked through the doors of any church and somebody say, oh, what's your sexual orientation? That's going to judge whether you can be here or not be here. You know, oh, you know, it's going to determine in our minds if you are a valuable person or like my sexuality has never been questioned mm-hmm. when I've walked mm-hmm. through a church ever. Right. Okay, Debbie and Diane, I have one last question for both of you. So you guys are going to have to kind of figure out who's going to answer first. Okay. There are probably people who are listening to this or watching this who've been at a very conservative place on this topic. And they're really unsure about rethinking it. So what would you say to them or how would you encourage them? That's a good question. Um, I would just ask people to... um, Ask themselves if they do have conversations and research and learn and and have a conversation with an open heart about this topic, and they do feel like they're going to change their mind or their heart towards towards this and something they've always believed and been taught, then ask themselves, if I do change what I'm thinking, then what does that do for yourself? Like, does that mean you're no longer a good Christian? God doesn't love you. You're now you know, thinking something wrong, like just, you know, think about what it means to you to actually have conversations with people. Um, I'm sure, I mean, everybody knows somebody that's gay. They just aren't, They maybe they haven't had deep conversations or conversations to get to know someone. So I would also ask that you get to know a, a, a person or a couple, a same-sex couple, um, get to know them, learn their story, and I would hope that after learning and hearing their story that you might have a little bit of a change of heart towards towards the topic and towards what you've always been taught. You know, I think I love what you just said, Debbie. I think a lot of us, it was implied to us, if not overtly taught, that if we rethought this or certain other big questions, that that was very, very dangerous mm-hmm. um, and something very, very bad would happen. Um, and I love that you're kind of saying to people like, you know, is that true? That something really bad's going to happen? Like, cause, cause I know I, I, God's still going to love you and you're still going to be Christian and you might even get better at loving other people. Um, so, right. so don't be, it's like, it's like the kids said in home alone. Don't be, don't get scared now. <laughs> so, all right, Diane, how about you? Um, I understand where somebody would be coming from, um, where they'd be afraid of falling on the wrong side of this or or going against God because they sincerely want to follow God, and I get that. But um, if your belief is true, 
then it, it also deserves to have scrutiny. You can't say, if you've never looked at it, if you've never mm-hmm. investigated it, you cannot say for certain that this is what God says. If you're just keeping it on the surface and saying, nope, I'm a Christian and that's what Christians believe, that's not fair. And I think, too, you, you need to put a personal face on this, that these are these are people and they're important. And you can't just dismiss that God dismisses them and that they're, the entire group they're not important to God, and they're like He just cursed them to not have a full life, to not um, to be fully in His love. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if I don't think you can even have an opinion if you're not even willing to look at it. Right. I, I love what you said about your truth needs to have scrutiny mm-hmm. because I think that is so important. Because otherwise, you're not you're not fully vetting that whatever that truth is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hugely important. And and you said something really important, which is you recognize, and I want to say that I recognize, right, as the the pastor of our church and sometimes the the guy with the big mouth about a lot of things, people are trying to be faithful, Mm -hmm. right? And I get that. They're trying to be faithful. And, um, but maybe we, we still have to ask some hard questions because maybe our faithfulness can actually uh, grow, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we can keep the, the, the parts of faithfulness we had and we can become faithful in, in some new and good ways too. Yeah. So, All right. We're almost out of time. I have one more question for you and then I have something I want to say. Okay. Um, are we going to talk about this topic more? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, what I'd like to do, because you know what we're doing with we're, we're in the early launch of our Jesus at the Table podcast. So we're doing a lot of one-off topics mm-hmm. because we're trying to give people, we want to build a listenership and we want people to be like, wow, they're going to talk about all kinds of interesting things. Of things. So we're, we're kind of diving into a lot of different stuff. But we'd like to come back to some of those topics, including this one, and unpack them in a little fuller way. So I'd like to come back and have do, you know, have more conversations about this. Like I'm sure that somebody is listening to this or watching this and they are saying, well, you haven't done anything to convince me about the Bible arguments right. because we can't fit that mm-hmm. in a little introductory conversation like like this. Um, and so I'd like to do an episode where we just, or two, where we just talk about the Bible passages. And I'd like to do some episodes where uh, we talk about some history and I'd like to do... I'd like to do some episodes where maybe we have some of our LGBTQ friends on the show with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd like to come back and I don't, I don't know, do three, four episodes together about this whole topic and, and maybe from time to time, you know, kind of come back around. I don't think this issue is going away anytime soon in the broader church. I think we have to keep talking about it. So, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. So before we wrap things up, I just have to say um, I'm really loving your shirt today. <laughs> You want to you want to talk about that at all? My podcaster shirt. Yeah, I'm a little envious. I do. I'm just okay. gonna say I'm, I'm right, slightly well, envious. I'm your co-host, and I don't I don't have one. Maybe we can get one, but yours would have to be a different color. So yes. the story behind this shirt <laughs> is that uh, we have a friend here at church, Cat Killian, and she has a podcast. Mm-hmm. And she walked into church or some event we had something one day, and she was wearing a shirt just like this. I think it was a different color, and I was like. Well, I'm starting a podcast. I said, where do I get a podcaster shirt? And so Wednesday night, just this week, she walked into Bible study and she said, I have a present for you. Ah, nice. And she gave me my podcaster shirt. So, and I said, I'm going to wear that this So is this week. where I say, cat, hook a sister up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so I, w- I want to really 
thank both of you for for joining us. I mean, I, I would love to talk more. We you know have a finite amount of time. Um, it's definitely a a topic that's extremely important to me as it is to you guys. And you know, hopefully, we can kind of bring you on and talk some more about it. Um, I also want to thank all of you who've watched. Uh, you know, we always appreciate your viewership, and and you piggyback on that right now. I can. So before okay. you go, if um, wherever you happen to be listening or watching, if you would like us and subscribe, that will help other people find us, especially if you're listening somewhere to the audio podcast where you can do a rating or a review. We would love that. That will help other people find us. And uh, if you would like to join our email list, list or learn more about us, you can go to our website, which is jesusatthetable.com. And um, until next time, uh, we'll see you then when we come back together for more conversations with Jesus at the Table.